0: Did you know that the Pop Culture Preservation Society depends on support from listeners like you to keep our podcast up and running? We are an independent operation, creating, producing, distributing, and promoting the podcast by ourselves and paying for it out of our own pockets because we love it and we think it's worth it to preserve the well-loved cultural nuggets from our Gen X youth. If you'd like to become a supporter of the PCPS, go to patreon.com P-A-T-R-E-O-N and search for Pop Culture Preservation Society. Our Patreon supporters are like our pit crew, giving us the fuel we need to keep on trucking. And as a Patreon supporter, you'll also get special thank you gifts, like video recordings of our episodes, after the episode discussions, invitations to live events over Zoom, and the occasional blooper delivered straight to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening and for being a part of our society.
1: I'm Jewish and I like to always like highlight cool Jews. And when I found out Michael Landon was Jewish, I'm like, that's
0: it. He's one of yours. Yeah.
1: (laughs) yeah. Can we we all agree that we can all sing all the Christian hymns from Louis? Oh, (laughs) Oh, sure. That's where we learned them. (laughs) Onward,
0: Christian soldiers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was at
1: a baby naming ceremony and it was like, uh, it was, I don't even know where, well it, uh, maybe Lutheran, Episcopalian. I'm not sure. They um, started singing the song. I, I was like,
2: hello, know. little house I'm 30. Hello, world, there's a song that we're singing. Come on, get happy. A whole lot of love is what we'll be bringing. We'll make you happy.
3: Welcome to the Pop Culture Preservation Society, the podcast for people born in the big wheel generation who spent their Friday nights with the Incredible Hulk, Bo and Luke Duke, and J.R. Ewing.
0: We believe our Gen X childhoods gave us unforgettable songs, stories, characters, and images. And if we don't talk about them, they'll disappear, like Marshall, Will, and Holly on a routine expedition.
2: And today, we'll be saving a book that we Gen Xers put on the map, Harriet the Spy, in a conversation with the executive producer of the animated adaptation of the book, President of Television for Jim Henson Productions, Hallie Stanford.
3: I'm Carolyn. I'm Kristen. And I'm Michelle. And we are your pop culture preservationists.
2: Hello world, there's a song that we're singing. Come on, get! So, a couple of months ago, we received an email from Jim Henson Productions letting us know that the beloved Gen-X classic Harriet the Spy would soon be starting its second season on Apple TV, and would we be interested in chatting with the executive producer and president of Jim Henson Television, Halle Stanford? <laughs> Guys, <laughs> I could not respond fast enough. Well, yes, we wanted to chat about this beloved book and its animated series. And this invitation, it sent us all back to our bookshelves to revisit this classic by Louise Fitzhugh about a fearless girl with a notebook and a spy route who goes around her neighborhood taking copious notes on all the characters she comes across. Much like some of my neighbors, I think, on that next door. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh-huh. They all probably can relate to Harriet the Spy. Well, I just want to share with you guys. You might not even know this about me. This book just mm-hmm. might have been the spark that started my love of writing and journalism. Really? Because, oh, wow. Yes, because I was the editor of the Rich Family Times. Okay, this was the newspaper that I founded, which published occasionally by being hung on the refrigerator door. Oh God, I, so like cute. Harriet, carried around a notebook looking for interesting things to write about for the paper and used my, um, my notes as I uh, drafted my articles. And sometimes okay. I maybe got in a little trouble for sharing some things in there that were not supposed to be shared. Oh my so God! Hashtag yes. Veronica. No
3: this is amazing. And yeah. please tell me you have a you have a copy of you that. You know what? Somewhere. I'm going to
2: have to ask my mom. I I remember seeing a copy later on, like when I was older, maybe high school or something, mm-hmm. that she had kept. If that still exists somewhere, I'm not sure, but I will try to find it oh, and man. ask her. But yeah, it was the rich family times. There
0: is there is no doubt. That's, that doesn't surprise me in the least because there is no doubt that Harriet the Spy made an impact on elementary school-aged girls in the 70s. For mm-hmm. me, it was in our third grade class, and it went through the classroom like wildfire, and suddenly everybody had a notebook. We all had a notebook. <laughs> And I would take my notebook and my pen and I would go tromping around the neighborhood with my friends. And if I recall correctly, I might have even had like a spy outfit like Harriet's. I might have had a, a sweatshirt and jeans yeah, to go yeah. do my spy route. And I would never have thought that this was um, an inspiration for me as a writer. But when I look backwards and think about what kind of writing I do, there's no doubt that mm-hmm. this is where it began. Because what Harriet is doing is observing her neighbors and taking notes on the people that she sees. She's an observational writer. This is how I started writing, was by just standing in line at the grocery store and thinking about the woman in front of me with the <laughs> funny hat. Where did she get that funny hat? And does she, does she think she looks, you know, cool or <laughs> is she trying to yeah. be different? What All is right. the reason that she has the hat? And now that's why the books that I read and the books that I write are primarily about characters because, and nothing Mm -hmm. in my book is made up. Everything comes from something that I've observed somebody do. So I'm out there being Harriet right, right now, writing things down that I'm right. just
3: tucking it away in different places. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. the notes app on your phone or in a notebook yeah. that you carry in your purse. Yep. I'm going to have to um, be honest here and represent maybe a, a small percentage of our listeners who um, it, I kind of missed out on the Harriet the Spy thing as a mm. child. Yeah, um, you know, it's from 1964. I don't know if it's because it was an older book, but I was reading Old Beverly Cleary and stuff like that that was also Mm -hmm. written probably in the 60s. And I don't know why, but all I do know is I would have been so about that. I would have been so about taking, doing what you just said, like Mm -hmm. pretending to, you know, walk around my neighborhood with a notebook and because I loved to write and I loved to make little books. I was always writing things. um, So I would have thought that was really fun. I sort of came to know Harriet more when I was a teacher. I just know that I came to
0: know it more as an adult. And that it's interesting. It was released, like you said, in 1964, so it was really a book for boomers. Boomers made this a very successful book. It was successful immediately, but it was Gen Xers who made it a phenomenon. Mm. And I don't know if there was new cover art that came about um, in the 70s, but something happened with the 70s kids that blew up Harriet the Spy and made her an icon. Mm. Gen Xers doing it again. One reason that this became a success so immediately is because the nature of the book was so different from everything that had come before. Harriet the Spy is part of a movement called New Realism. Louise Fitzhugh unapologetically created one of the first truly honest depictions of childhood in the history of books for children, along with, which also came out around the same time, Where the Wild Things Are. Mm -hmm. If you recall, Where the Wild Things Are, the boy is really naughty. Yeah. And children Mm -hmm. weren't naughty in books prior to that. And so adults were like, I don't think kids should be reading this book about naughty children. Harriet the Spy was the same way. Prior to this, books that were realistic on the surface, they would have been called realistic fiction, but they were done through an adult lens, showing what adults thought children should be doing or Mm -hmm. how children should be acting. Mm -hmm. Um, They were meant to be aspirational. They would never have shown a child a good child being naughty there were villains in books but those were the bad guys and you weren't supposed to do what they did or even like them mm-hmm. Harriet the spy was a likable character who was a flawed person and maybe was a little bit naughty and speaking her
3: truth right like she Absolutely. the 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 things she's thinking about some of her classmates and some of her neighbors it's pretty it's pretty bold when you read it you're like wow that's for 1964, the way she's making her be so honest yeah. and, and how she's talking and describing people. But it's it's a little bit shocking. But go back and think about it. That's how we think when we're That's how that age.
0: Thought. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. 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 She it was, was so honest. Mm-hmm. She was portraying a child's thoughts as a child would actually think them, even though those thoughts were unkind. Mm-hmm. So – Louise Fitzhugh taking this leap and making this book so boldly honest led to books like The Outsiders. It led to Judy Blume, who talked so brazenly about puberty. Nobody was talking about puberty before that. And after Harriet the Spy, everything started to change. Adults did not like Harriet the Spy. They were very Mm -hmm. upset about it, and it got banned frequently.
2: Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I think that um, that might have been the first book that I read independently where I thought – I see myself, you know, yeah. like mm-hmm. I've done that or I've thought that. And um, really, isn't that one of the reasons we read or what makes it so in touches us in such a way? I is like, so. I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, and I think this might have been one of the first times I experienced that as a reader.
0: And that's the reason it was a success. Yeah. yeah. This notion of kids being able to see themselves mm-hmm. accurately and validated in that way has also made this book, this is something I did not know, has made this book incredibly important to the gay community. And this is so important to talk about because so many of us Gen Xers have kids who are proud members of the LGBTQ community. We have friends, we have parents, we have neighbors. All of us know people who are part of this community. And this comes from Katie Horning, who is the director of the Cooperative Children's Book Center. She says, historically, Harriet M. Welsh is a gay icon. I had no idea. Wow. It's not overtly stated that Harriet is gay, and she may not be. We don't know what Louise Fitzhugh's intentions were, but she presents in a way that was not acceptable for girls in 1964. She wore jeans and a hoodie. She wore high-top tennis shoes, and her best friends, Sport and Janie, have reversed gender roles. So Janie is the scientist who likes to blow things up. Sport is the caretaker of his very absent-minded father. So it was like Louise Fitzhugh was telling kids back in the 60s that they didn't necessarily have to play by the rules that society was setting for them, which Katie Horning points out is the first lesson that queer kids have to learn in order to be happy. So she goes on to say that Harriet's whole ordeal, the thing that culminates, the book culminates in an event in which some kids take her notebook, her spy notebook, and they read it publicly. And she says, this sounds very much like a coming out story. And Harriet's, and Harriet's parents' response when this happens is to take Harriet to a psychiatrist for analysis.
3: <gasps> I never even mm-hmm. thought about it that way. So she
0: was laying out what happens when somebody tries to come out in the 60s. Well, and she, yeah. was, she was very out, Right. W- yes, yeah. yeah, she In famously. the 60s, she mm-hmm. was, famously. Yeah. Um, and most importantly, in the story for the audience, Olgali, who is Harriet's nurse, her governess, her mm-hmm. nanny, she comes to the rescue when this horrible thing happens, mm-hmm. and she gives Harriet this advice that resonated with queer kids in the closet back in the 60s. She says, sometimes you have to lie, but to yourself, you must always tell the truth. Oh. And this made adult furious. Oh, really? See, I'm just like, mm-hmm. oh, golly. I love that. I know. Right. Yeah. The fact that old golly was telling her that she mm-hmm. had to lie. This is what made people mm-hmm. so angry. But Louise Fitzhugh was overtly or covertly providing tools for survival for a population of kids who were in a very dicey situation mm-hmm. in the 1960s. There's a really good biography of Louise Fitzhugh. Even if you have no interest in Harriet the Spy and you don't know who Louise Fitzhugh is, this is a biography that's really, really fun to read. And the title of the biography is Sometimes You Have to Lie. (laughs) Because that becomes kind of the rallying Mm -hmm. cry, right? And basically in all of her books, there are several books that came after Harriet the Spy, but the message is very clear. And this comes from K.T. Horning again. She says, be true to yourself, find your own way, even if your friends and family threaten to reject you, it will be painful, but you
2: will survive. Oh, wow.
0: No idea. I had no idea no, about any of this. No. no, I didn't
2: either. Even if you were just that nerd, you were the girl who liked Absolutely. doing science stuff or, you know, whatever, or you just were different. You just this felt was a, different. Yeah. You mm-hmm. way for you to be kind of seen and go, okay, this is not...
0: Yeah, Yeah. and I think that's why it spoke to so many people. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, to the gay community in particular, but to anyone who felt like they weren't quite um, living up to what people thought they were supposed to be doing. Right,
3: exactly. (laughs) Well, listeners, our guest today touches on the counterculture ways of Harriet the Spy, along with some amazing tidbits about working with Muppets for the last 30 years. As the president of TV for Jim Henson Productions, there was no way I was going to bypass the opportunity to ask her about what life is like in that (laughs) Muppet space.
0: Mm -hmm. Not Muppets in Space.
3: (laughs) Well, that too, probably. (laughs) That Muppet Space. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Dream. Yeah.
2: Oh, it was a great conversation. Hallie was a true kindred spirit, Mm -hmm. wasn't she, you guys? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Love? New (gasps) friends. Exactly, because her love for the pop culture of our youth is as strong as ours. That means that this conversation, you guys, it went in so many super fun directions. Of course, the Muppets. We talked about Little House on the Prairie. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We talked about the Carpenters. (laughs) I mean, we could have talked to this woman for hours. Hallie was great. And I'm sure back in the day, she would have been our number one guest at a slumber party. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. I loved talking to her.
3: We sure did. And we know you all will love her as much as we did. So please enjoy this conversation with one of the creators of Harriet the Spy, the TV show, Hallie Stanford.
2: Our guest today is responsible for television programming for a new generation of children. And she brings to that job all of her experience as a child of the Gen X era. You can see her Gen X fingerprint on shows like Sid the Science Kid, a reboot of Fraggle Rock. And an animated series based on the Gen X classic, Harriet the Spy. The Emmy award-winning president of television of the Jim Henson Company, Hallie Stanford. Hallie, welcome to the Pop Culture Preservation Society.
1: Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. This is oh, so we're fun. thrilled. we
2: um, thrilled we Gen Xers
3: are so lucky to have so many different distinctions on this podcast. We call ourselves everything from the big wheel generation, the free to be you and me generation, the little house on the prairie generation, the Sesame Street and the Muppet Show generation, which I guess you could also say that makes us the Jim Henson generation. Um, And we recently did a really fun two-part episode on the impact Sesame Street had on us as children in the early 70s. But We want to ask you, how did watching Sesame Street and The Muppet Show impact you, and how does working – I mean, this is just like a crazy dream, right? How does working in Jim Henson's world affect you now?
1: Hmm. I love all these questions.
3: And um I really love
1: when you just named all of those shows because and the generations, because those are that those are all my favorite shows or my favorite. Yeah. I say that I'm the free-to-be you and me generation. Little House of the Prairie is my favorite show in the whole wide world. I watch it every Sunday and eat waffles. And oh my, my um God, we my love husband you. and son walk in on Sunday morning, they go, Oh, look, what is mom watching? <laughs> Little you House on the Prairie. Oh my gosh. And then my husband last week, I was like, oh, this is the episode where Albert, he's like, yeah, I know. And he like finished the sentence where Albert like sells the cow at the fair. I was like, oh, have you seen this <laughs> Anyway, so, um, but, uh, I, oh, I'm definitely a child of Jim Henson cause I am the Sesame Street generation. Yes. I was born in 1969 Same. and I grew up on okay. Jim Henson. So I will tell you that my, um, my dad died when I was three. And I was very little. And my mom, true story, she had gotten into law school. And he died a week before that was supposed to happen. And my mom, just in a state of shock and a state of survival, she went. And then she became a very powerful and successful attorney. She's retired now, uh, living the life. But so here I was, like with all these anxious feelings, things weren't explained to me. And uh, I'll tell you, I'm sure television did kind of save my life in some way. So Sesame Street, I want you to think about, like, that time in my life was so important. And Grover was my first friend.
0: Same.
1: And he – I was such an anxious child. And Grover was pretty anxious, too, if you recall. Yeah, Mm he was. And so I really connected with that show. Like, that show, like, gave me life as a little girl. And, uh, you know, the, the heart of it and, these, and being seen, I felt seen by these characters. I also was like, how do I get to Sesame Street? Can <laughs> <laughs> you, you tell me? They never say. They never tell us. Don't they don't tell us. Um, um, man, but then I got exactly. there, didn't I? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes did. So, um did. So it was very formative. And so when I approach preschool programming, I really can channel little Hallie and say, okay, our characters need to be first friends. How are they making a difference in the lives of kids? What are we trying to say? Sesame Street, yes, they were teaching us our numbers and letters, but there's a lot of emotional learning oh, there
3: sure.
1: as well. So, um, but it was that intimate friendship mm-hmm. connection that I, I always access when we're thinking about preschool programming. But that show was like everything to me. Um, And And, I think that it translated to the Muppets, right, because Kermit was on Sesame, so, mm -hmm. you know, we connected the dots as kids, right, when when the Muppet Show came on. Um, But it was just so funny. And um, uh, I guess the Muppet Show, just just transitioning to the Muppet Show as a kid, that was one of the few shows – Aside from The Love Boat and Fantasy Island, <laughs>
0: that um, my mom and watched with us. Yes, um, me too. Like the whole right. family watched. Like it was Johnny Carson or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like Friday nights. We all climbed into mom's bed and we watched The Muppet yeah. Show.
3: I just feel like how many times has your little girl self squealed at what she ended up doing? I mean, to connect yeah. yourself now or for how many years have you been now working? Um, with Jen- and Collecti- Jim Collectively, twenty-seven.
1: Wow. Um, oh my goodness. Uh, or maybe more. Wait, yeah, I think that's right. Oh, maybe I
3: can't do math. Well, <laughs> yes. what, what Join the club.
1: to did- <laughs> um, okay. show her nap.
3: <laughs> This is unbelievable. So for for let's just say thirty. Let's just call it thirty. We'll all agree it's thirty. For thirty mm-hmm. years, that's like your whole career, basically. Yeah, it is. Has yeah. you been immersed in Jim Henson's world? I can only imagine what six-year-old Hallie would do. I mean, that's just so fun. Be a pe- pants.
1: Be, be thrilled. Be thrilled. Yeah, pee pe- my pants and uh, <laughs> be thrilled. Uh, would be so excited. Um, I think that my I'm still really close with all my friends from when I was in third grade, all the way through middle school. I don't think they'd be surprised. Oh, really? Oh. I was like in charge of all the backyard carnivals, all the <laughs> all the shows, and I love puppets. I was also a theater kid. So, I think The Muppet Show, because it was about putting on a show and the theater of it all, uh, I really related to it um, in so many ways. But my favorite character, see, now you're going to, I don't know, like you won't see this on the podcast, but um, you all can see behind me Gonzo, my painting yes. of Gonzo. Yes.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Gonzo was my everything on The Muppet Aww. Show because he was such a weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> I was such a weirdo, and my friends called me Gonzo uh, growing up. And, uh, so, you know, I I think this is so interesting
0: because, uh, you know, think about when we were kids, what were our parents saying about TV? They called it the boob tube and the idiot box. And there was this panic about how it was, it was making our brains into mush when in actuality, you know, our parents were working and we were at home by ourselves. So (laughs) we needed something and look at the emotional, um, the emotional development that it actually contributed to, like there was something that actually contributed to the raising of the children of the Gen X generation in a very positive and happy way.
1: I think in a very positive way, I think that television is transformative. Yeah. And that's what, you know, I always try to produce here at Henson is like, how can we have that effect? But just circling back to little house in the prairie for a second, I wish that I could write a book about my TV dads. Cause I'm telling you right now, <gasps> Pa Ingalls raised me. Oh, like, he was gosh.
2: your dad. He yes. was my
1: dad, right? Like I would look to him and the way he raised those girls, and like the kinds of lessons he teach, and you know, so it really does have a powerful effect mm-hmm. on. I wish there was more primetime programming right now that was family, like yes. reflecting yeah, back families. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's family programming. We all can sit and watch, you know, The Mandalorian with our kids, but I mean, like families about
0: yeah. families okay.
1: about yeah. families. Mm-hmm. But I watched a lot of TV, like a lot. I did too. Um, and um, you know what? My mom never judged. Uh, you know, we 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 did. I didn't do sports. I was a theater kid. I did. I did dance. I wanted to be mm-hmm. like Fame. You remember Fame? Oh, oh yeah, we hello. did a whole episode on Fame. Yeah,
0: we did. We yes. did a two-part episode on Fame. I did. like oh, would perform Fame in my bedroom. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I was I Irene Cara. That. Uh, Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. But
1: the Muppets, you know, I'll tell you, um, Kermit the Frog, uh, I wanted to go to Hollywood like Kermit the Frog and Mm -hmm. uh, make people uh, happy and, uh, you know, smile and all of that. I had three heroes growing up. It's not going to be a surprise. George Lucas, Steven Spielberg and Jim Henson. Yeah. So I probably would have been happy working for any of those companies, but I feel very fortunate yeah. to have started with this company because Jim Henson, so kind of transitioning your question, like how does it affect, how is it affecting me? How does it affect me now? Is my, my sort of moral core and imagination is very aligned with what he was all about. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I think that I was raised in the creative tradition of the people that were raised by him. So I'm also really lucky. I started in 1993. Jim passed away in 1990. So I just kind of learned in the tradition, um, which is very open-hearted, very collaborative. The best idea wins. um, uh, Very celebratory. Can be very silly. um, But also all business. He was a businessman. Mm -hmm. um, And, you know, cared deeply about building franchises and You know, Fraggle Rock, uh, there's a famous story that he um, came into a room. He did a lot of charrettes, a lot of brainstorming sessions, came into the room and said, hey, let's create a a show that solves world peace. (laughs) And so they came up with Fraggle Rock. I love thinking about what the world needs, what audiences need.
0: It sounds like it was about honoring kids and not, quote unquote, teaching kids right? Like we're going to impart messages to them, but we're doing it in a way that treats them like adults and not like our charges. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that he would like it, it, that it, if it's teaching, like you said, there's a messaging, it's that not talking down. I mean, you, right. That was the Muppet show. Like, right. it, like it
3: worked on multiple levels. You're hitting on something that we talked definitely three of us talked about in our Sesame Street episode is that it wasn't preachy right? These lessons and everything Um, they weren't, and they weren't throughout even throughout, throughout the seventies, throughout the eighties, but they were like you just said, Kristen honoring children and children's emotions. I remember one of the things we talk about specifically in our Sesame Street episode. The first one is Carolyn saying how um, Oscar the Grouch was her favorite character. And we, it, it turned into this kind of realization of the three of us of, you know what? Oscar always taught us that it was okay to be grouchy because he was still likable and nobody got angry at him for being grouchy. He could be a grouch and that was okay. And people were still going to like him and accept him. And so he really, that's just the embodiment of, you know, of everything that Yeah, like we didn't even realize that until we were, we're all in our fifties. We, it was literally, we had this light bulb moment, like, Hey, he was grouchy, and that was okay. And that was it okay. Just, it, we absorbed it so much that we didn't realize it until decades later.
1: I will tell you, like I've already told you, I was an anxious child. I was concerned about the count. I was like, "There's oh. a vampire on Sesame Street. Why is nobody doing anything about the vampire?" <laughs> On Sesame Street. like I, I was not about him. I will tell oh, you. Oh, that's so funny. That's funny. I was happy if he somebody. Would get him,
0: but um my only you know, anxiety I, came from Snuffleupagus. That no, that he was like, oh, they didn't get Oh, I missed him. Oh my god, that was true was right anxiety there. for me. He was right there. Me too. Mm-hmm. Actually,
1: that caused me a lot of anxiety too. Yeah. I, I agreed, and obviously they resolved that. Yes, they took <laughs> care of it for us. Got me. Back, uh, yeah, like, yeah, You need to listen to kids when yeah. they. <laughs> <laughs> um, for sure. Well, I think, you know, kids deserve the best, right? They deserve the best, the quality, mm-hmm. quality storytelling visuals, uh, you know, that premium look that Sesame street delivered. Premium and it was so innovative. Yes. It was so innovative. I feel like they deserve the best and they deserve what other adults are getting to benefit from in this yeah. golden age of television. But we always have to fight the good fight because we're the last thought of in preschool and kids in terms oh, of budget. That's, and
0: oh, that's, yeah, you're right. Well, and that's worldwide in government, in wherever yeah. you go. You're exactly right. Who gets paid the least? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the childcare workers, the teachers. Exactly. They the all teachers. get paid the worst. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reel us back from that depressing notion. Okay, okay. <laughs> so let's talk about one of your newest ventures, which is an animated adaptation of the Gen X classic, Harriet the Spy. Beloved, yes. right? Harriet the Spy, which you um, just released its second season on Apple TV Plus just a few weeks ago. You have an all-star cast of voice actors, including Beanie Feldstein as Harriet, Jane Lynch as golly. And I am thoroughly enjoying it, even though I'm pretty sure that you made it for today's kids and not middle-aged ladies. But it works. It Mm -hmm. works. And the animation is very old school, which makes me so lonesome for Saturday morning TV. And even my 20-year-old son walked in when I was watching it, and he goes, Oh, look at the animation. Like, it made him feel good, too. Oh, I like hearing that. Isn't that great? Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: well... It was deliberate, you know, the, yeah. I'll just talk about the animation for yeah. a second. It was quite deliberate to, you know, um, take inspiration from Louise Fitzhugh's illustrations. Mm-hmm. Then um, we wanted it to have a timeless feel.
0: Yeah.
1: And in two, so we talked a lot about 101 Dalmatians, uh, the yeah. movie. Yeah. And that, it, that had this sort of beautiful, classic feel. Yeah. Um, and so the combo of her illustrations... 101 Dalmatians and that watercolor kind of background yes. too. And actually going for 2D, right? Like there's yes, so much. Thank TV. you. Thank you. And doing, I mean, it's a dramedy, right? Like yeah. and am doing a different type of storytelling for this older age group. Uh, no, it's not superhero, it's not fast-paced comedy a la Spongebob, I think was very ambitious. And so, again, you know, it kind of reflects how we take big swings at Hanson.
0: Yeah, and um, and even the book, that was ambitious, too, in the same oh. way. And so you had to take a risk to be able to take on something that was risky when it came out in the first place.
1: Yeah, Harriet inspires risk, for yes. sure. Yes. Um, we love the book. The, the books were brought to us by... Uh, two producers that I absolutely love, uh, two Friends Productions, uh, Wendy Klein Moss and Nancy Steingart, and then they brought it to a company we have a deal with called Rehab Entertainment. And we just like, I was like, oh, yeah, Harriet the Spy. And, but when I reread the book, because I hadn't read it since I was a kid, it's so funny. It's so she funny. is so <laughs> punk rock and so outrageous. And a little bit of what you guys were talking about with Oscar the Grouch. Uh, that she was unabashedly temperamental and wonderful and loves herself and is completely flawed and that's why the book got so much flack
0: yeah uh, when it
1: came out that's why it got banned that's why they were like oh my god it was like the first book where a a girl was dressed as a boy a girl wore high top sneakers are you kidding me no way um, so when we read her in the book, we were like, oh my gosh, she's like a modern kid. Yeah. Especially like sort of her gender fluidity too. But like, I, I just think that we were like, oh, she, Harriet has a lot to say to today's generation, totally. but let's set her, yeah. we honored the period. We're like, we're not going to do the movies adorable, but we're not going to set her in the now. Like, yeah. let's do 1964. Let's like have some fun with period. That's a fantasy for kids. We did get pushback from the networks when we went and pitched it about the the period. They were like,
0: can you set it in the present? Um, I'm so well, glad you didn't. I'm no. so glad you didn't because it adds a texture and a flavor to it that I think actually kids are really craving. This is why Friends think, okay. is so popular because there are no phones in it, right? Now, in Harriet, there is a phone, but it's a telephone, yeah. It's on the wall, yeah. right? Yeah. It's there are phone booths, and yet it's not overt. The setting is not overt. It's just very it's naturally woven through mm-hmm. as it was presented in the book. So it's not historical fiction or anything like that. Yeah,
1: yeah. There was, a, you know, there there are set pieces, or mm-hmm. like you'll see them in like a like a hair salon, and you know, it will have the style, and that's fun. But it's not every yeah. single detail. Yeah. Um, I wrote the episode that takes place at the 1964 World's Fair. So that was fun. We did so get to fun. research, right? We got to research what did it look like, yeah. what were the crazy booths and all of that. But typically you're right. Like we just do some nods to it visually um, and definitely the music. The album just dropped uh, oh, for the second yes. season and the music's so great. The music's so great. great. And we definitely did not, we have songs that are from that time, but nothing past 1964. Um, so it really honors the music too, which is great.
0: can we talk about the theme song for a minute the theme song is on fire it's courtney barnett it's as modern as you can be i just put it into my 2023 playlist you could listen to this just on the daily on your independent music radio station it's so good and yet it feels so harriet it feels so harriet it's kind of a rocker we you know God bless Apple
1: Music. You know they really pushed us uh, uh, on this show, and I, I get to work with them on uh, Fraggle Rock and our other show, Slumberkins. And so they, you know, they really let us elevate it. Like the fact that we got to go out to her to like write the song was the coolest. So
0: that's written um, for the show. This is for the show. You're yep. not using a Courtney Barnett song. She no. did. Oh my god, she did a theme song for Harriet That's the fine. For us, exactly.
1: And oh god, I so love her all the more now. We did feel that the theme song should be a modern song, right? Mm-hmm. That just uh, is the spirit of Harriet. And we do talk a lot about her being very punk rock Harriet. So, it, it it was kind of easy to like translate uh what uh the sound should be if if Harriet was here like you said in like modern yeah. time. to. what she want to.
0: So how much pressure did you feel to stay true to the book? We felt pressure,
1: um, not from anyone but ourselves because Mm -hmm. we're all fans. So um, I'm used to, you know, working on (laughs) projects, Muppets, uh, Dark Crystal, Fraggle Rock, where you have this like giant fan base and, you know, and I'm a fan of all of those too. So there's an essence that you honor in, in those types of franchises, but then you got to push it for entertainment and TV. So, I think what we did was the first season we would tease out moments um, that were in the book. Mm-hmm. But then the second half—I mean, we definitely do the story where her her journal gets discovered. Yeah. Spoiler alert! It doesn't go down well. Mm-hmm. Even more spoiler alert! It gets resolved. <laughs> um, but uh, so we would we would do the big touch points, or you know. But then we'd have to change a couple of things because in the book it gets harsh, guys. Like you know, Sports Dad is having some problems, Mm, and um, you know uh, when she's you know spying uh, on her neighbor that you know she's going through like a a massive, horrible, like nervous breakdown. We're like, I don't think we can do that for the pilot. (laughs) Maybe she just needs to work on like. A uh, dog outfit business, like we had to kind of brainstorm it so that it felt like, but we didn't want to take it away. And I think the fans are okay with it. Oh, I think I so. We so think sure. that why, and maybe didn't really quite remember why she was stuck in bed. Well, there are some things um, that you
0: really that really needed to be changed. Like uh, I think it's episode five, which is really corresponding to episode one of the book, where Harriet is going to old golly's mom's house, yes. and it's a lovely episode where you meet this kind of crazy lady, and she's like, yeah. woohoo. But yeah. in the book, it's a little disturbing. The mm-hmm. way Harriet is describing Old Golly's mom is like she is disturbed in another way. She keeps talking about how fat she is. She uses the word fat all the time. And she makes her sound almost like um, she's demented in some way. And was like, how on earth would you bring that to the screen for today's kids? Like, that wouldn't be published today. How did you How did you approach this almost disturbing chapter, which, as I'm reading, I'm like, well, you well, wouldn't do this. You would just cut that I mean, and move on to the next episode. And yet you did it. I think it was a tribute to
1: um, uh, the writers just working it out. I mean, I wasn't in the writer's room for that one. I would guess that, you know, it just had a lot to do with what you're saying. Like, we need to present the mom as completely not what you were expecting, From Old Golly. And then you kind of completely get why Old Golly became who she was. Yeah, Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's this huge, like, two-season arc with Harriet and Old Golly. Her being able to let go of her childhood for Old Golly to feel good about letting Harriet step away from her and Old Golly falling in love. And Old Golly becoming the writer she wants to become, right? Mm -hmm. So um, there's a lot to explore there. I was thinking about the mom. You know, we did decided, this was for me, I'm like, I want Harriet to have a better relationship with her parents. Um, um,
0: I wondered about that.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, that came from me. Um, that um, And of course, I mean, the writers executed it beautifully. But um, I just felt like, yes, we got it. Her parents were socialites. We got it in the books. We understand the generation she came from. We're the latchkey kids. Yes. We get it. But I did think there was an opportunity to actually model for the moms at home watching with their girls, you know, just that you could show the struggles that Harriet has, how she's different than them and pushes up against them. But we just needed more. We needed more parent and Harriet time. And yeah. so the parents we, in the
0: show are not as neglectful as the parents uh-oh. in the book. And that's one of the themes of the book is that she doesn't yeah. have any parental influence. And old is her only person. Yeah. And that's exactly. not the case in the show. It's not the case in the show and yet there's a lot of trust
1: between Lola and they um and then so we had we have uh, one episode where mom and her they really come to terms it's one of my favorite episodes it's called Rare Bird where they go bird watching together she goes along with her mom and they they don't quite see eye to eye but then they do by the end and I kind of love it like they're so different from one another but they have that uh breakthrough tween mom moment. <laughs> um, which I, I think was really beautiful. And that's
0: so, very uh, realistic. So you're yeah. showing that there is, you know, there is a bridge that needs to be made somehow. They're not understanding each other, but it's not neglect. It's different.
1: Yeah, we, we yeah. changed the neglect part of it yeah. for, for deliberate reasons. So that's that's another example of just translating the book into uh, a piece of entertainment that could be transformative right yeah we could have families sit down together and kind of look at it and model a way to be with one another Mm -hmm. um out in the real world
0: do you feel like harry the spy is still popular amongst kids today or is it something that you were trying to resurrect
1: oh um i it's such a good question i mean My kids did not read it when they were in school. It wasn't, you know, one of the recommended reading. Having said that, um, uh, I do think that we were trying to resurrect because we loved it. Um, But uh, it's not unfamiliar to everybody that sees it. Oh yeah, here's the spy. So, was it because of the Nickelodeon movie or because of the book? I couldn't say. Okay. Um, but you know, then the minute we read it, I read it with my my son. Uh, once we started doing it, he loved it. He thought it was hilarious. Um, he started wearing glasses with no lenses. Yeah. There was no question that it's a classic, and that it is. It, it was you know, it was a turning point in children's literature. Yeah, of showing kind of the realistic,
0: realistic kid um, life. To your point, I don't. I don't think it's gone. Everyone knows no. what it is, the, but do they read it? I'm not sure. I was excited,
1: too, that, you know, I mean, Will McRobb, who was our showrunner, like, he, it was his favorite book as a
2: kid.
0: Really? So,
1: yeah, so it wasn't just girls. Yeah.
2: Well, I always say, too, for me, it was one of the first times as a firstborn rule follower to to read about this character that didn't necessarily follow the rules, like kind of living vicariously through yeah. her, um, because would I dare do any of that? And, you know, it was really one of the first times we talk about maybe Ramona the Pest and no. Harriet mm-hmm. are those examples of, oh, look, you can, you don't have to follow all the rules. Maybe this, and you can have a little fun. That's how I always think of Harriet.
0: Which is why, of course, parents hated it. Well, she <laughs> <laughs> don't have to follow the rules.
1: Yeah, she's so cheeky. Yeah, uh-huh. oh, not, I was worried at first that like people were gonna feel that way, like, oh, well, are they gonna think Harriet's unlikable because she's so cheeky and out there? But no, uh, they, they're so likable,
0: yeah, so completely likable. And I think part of that is I'm trying to think of an equivalent. Well, maybe Ramona is a great example, somebody who's so flawed and yet. Um, and does things that are wrong, but has good intentions, and is just sort of a free spirit. And they're they're not, she's not an anti-hero at all. She's a hero. No. She's a hero. Yeah. The thing about Harriet that we kept in mind constantly when
1: we did the show was, in the book Harriet writes in her journal, I Love Myself. Mm-hmm. God. And we were like, you need to remember, this is not a self-loathing, I mean, she'll have anxiety like any kid, but mm-hmm. she loves herself. Can you imagine modeling that for kids right like wow. learn to love yourself first it, it's such like i feel like maybe our generation maybe it was gen x like i, I never felt like i got that message
0: never no. never Just I didn't help know others share yeah. Yeah,
1: exactly. share and care yeah
0: it was never self-care yeah um, well but- i remember whitney houston i remember when the greatest love of all came out and you know the greatest love of all is about loving yeah. yourself and i was like whitney that's selfish Like, I did not understand that song at all. Like, you don't love yourself. You love other people. Exactly. Imagine if I had been given the message that it was important to like myself. Yeah. When I was younger. Yeah.
1: So that was something that, you know, when we read it, we were like, whoa. Um, And then what's kind of nice about that is when you think of Louise Fatou, you know, and she was pretty unabashedly herself, you know, this like open, you know, queer writer uh in a relationship she must have loved herself
0: you know uh which She's is lovely out there too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah she was herself right. completely and utterly yeah and sort of dressing like a man like very very early mm-hmm. yeah and that was yep. sort of her claim to fame she dressed like a man and then we have harriet the spy who wears her jeans and her high tops and her hooded sweatshirt <laughs>
2: We like to play a fun little game with our friends when they come on. Okay. And what we like to do is do a little pop culture Gen X. Trivia, kind of fun questions, and Uh you've already (laughs) hinted to the fact that um, one you loved Little House on the Prairie. And if I recall from an episode, podcast episode that I listened to that you were a guest, did you not have a Little House on the Prairie themed wedding? Or I did. Can you believe it? What podcast did I say that on? Oh Um. my god. I can't remember will, now. Well,
1: somebody please just give me the rights to Little House? Don't, I need to say it all the time. Maybe one day someone will listen to this podcast. Um, yes, uh, I am married to the most wonderful man who, as I've told you, every Sunday he, he, he sits and endures Little House. Um, we had a Little House uh, uh, on the Prairie wedding. Um, we got married in a town hall down in San Diego. A one, you know, a one room wooden town hall. And then, um, I wore a prairie dress and, um, then we had square dancing outside oh and really? we all put it together. We all put like, it was like everybody we were, people clean the dishes. Um, yes. and then when I got my prairie dress, my wedding prairie dress, I was telling my sister and she was like, What? And I'm like, I found this woman that makes prairie dresses. And this and the designer's name is Batshiva, And now she's, like, so hit. Like, I found her before, like, she went, like, Vogue and, like, wow. everybody wears it. And I'm like, yeah. I'm, and I remember calling Batshiva. I'm like, I'm coming to New York. Can I come buy a prairie dress? She's like, sure, come to my parents' house. So this was, like, way before. And my sister was horrified. And now my sister's like, oh, yeah, Hallie, like, totally was wearing a Batshiva <laughs> yes. Before it was a thing it's like slipped on me but um. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, anyway, is yes, I can just
3: picture the reception with like
0: a fiddle player and like some oh women, God. like maybe you know, they the are kind of, like turning yeah.
3: butter to like
0: put on the You hand out bonnets. You know? Yeah, everyone oh gets a gosh. bonnet. That's like the party favor. Has anyone ever brought up doing an animated Little House show? Well, I did try to
1: get the rights. I um, thought, and I didn't want to do House in the Prairie. I love the books too. So I thought, wouldn't it be beautiful to start at the beginning of those books and go all the way through? But um, those rights are held by the same people that to hold um the the that had them when the TV show was made wow. so he had no interest in hearing from me doing a cartoon uh, of I was like no it'll be beautiful like the Garth Williams illustrations and it will be like so it'll so be gorgeous. beautiful
0: it'll be um, so
1: beautiful I'm, like, I'm going to sell it for a feature I'm Jewish and I like to always like highlight cool Jews and when I found out Michael Landon was Jewish I'm like that's it
0: he's <laughs> one of yours yeah yeah. <laughs>
1: Can we, can we all agree that we can all sing all the Christian hymns from Louisville? Oh, sure, we learn them. Onward, Christian
0: soldiers. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I was at a baby naming ceremony, and it was like, Uh, It was, I don't even know where, uh, maybe Lutheran Episcopalian, I'm not sure. Um, And they started singing the song. I (laughs) I was like,
3: I go to the Little House on the Party? Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my god! Reverend Alden and his giant red nose. Yes. Oh, my God. Reverend Alden.
1: (laughs) I love that you guys love it. And um, one day we can all go to do the wagon train. uh, Yes. Well, it's
3: right next to, it's only an hour from us.
2: Well, we digress because we want (laughs) to ask you some questions. We digress a lot on this podcast. So, your favorite jazz. Okay. So, and um, we might have already answered the first question, but I'm going to go again. We're just going to go in order. Favorite Muppet? Gonzo. First concert? Boy George. Oh, wow. That's a good one. Very good one. Yes. Favorite roller skating rink song?
0: (laughs)
1: Um,. Oh, maybe I, I'm trying to, I think like when I was a kid, oh, yes. it was YMCA. I, was I mean, just, for sure. You got to came
3: out of my mouth, Hallie. Mm-hmm. I was you about to, to like go think like YMCA or something like that. Yeah. Like I was going <laughs> to help you along and that's what you said. That was what <laughs> But that my was hard too. to skate and do that. And
1: then you got <laughs> right?
2: to be cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. All right. Oh,
2: gosh. All right. <laughs> Whose poster did you have on your wall?
1: The you're gonna be like what? The Beatles and Fred Astaire. Nice. Oh my also. God. <laughs> I love okay. it. Can you elaborate? Just a little, like okay. So the beat. <laughs> I love the Beatles when I was young. So I had the Beatles. I had so many posters of the Beatles. And by the way, I framed some of those posters and put them in my son's room. So they have my posters uh, in there as well. But I loved Fred Astaire. I loved old I had Shirley I Temple too. as well. Um, so I, I, know, I just loved. I loved classic love Hollywood.
0: That. I, did I too love that.
1: Um, so mm-hmm. it was that that combo. And then when I got a little bit older, and I was a big theater nerd, I would put all my theater posters up. Oh. You know, like <laughs>
0: yes,
1: this is when I was in Greece and all, all my
2: all my billboard. <laughs> Love it. Okay, favorite John Hughes movie? Pretty in Pink. Okay. We just well, did last an week episode. that was our episode. two weeks, episode. Ago, um,
3: two weeks yes. ago. A whole mm-hmm. episode on Pretty in Pink. I, I had you. never seen
2: it before, so I was coming into it. What? I know I was. A, that was quite a I, conversation. I'm on the yeah. older end of Gen X. I'm 65, and no, no, so, you're,
0: you're you're born in 65. Born yeah, in, I'm sorry. Yeah. Every Every time
2: I'm time born in 1965. She looks great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but born in 1965, and so when it came out, I was like a junior in college, and it just wasn't the right, you know, demographic at that point. So I came to it with my 57 year old eyes and talk to Michelle who loves this movie and I liked it, but you know, I mean, Michelle loves it. She doesn't even know how many times she's seen it. She lo- loves it so much. So it's a it great too. discussion. It is yeah, a really a good, good discussion. Mm-hmm. Okay. First album.
1: Ooh. Okay. Let me think like all my, cause I had all my mom's albums too. And I would mm-hmm. listen to all of those. Um, My first album. Oh my God. I like, now I'm laughing again. Annie. <laughs>
0: Oh, no. sure. <laughs> that works. <laughs> that works. The, not the movie, the movie, but the, but the, the, the Broadway recording? Yeah. 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 I Anthony, I'm so I'm if I had, to be, if I had to be honest,
1: like that probably was the first, like, mom, I need to get Annie. I need to get the yeah. album Annie. <laughs> the theater. Um, for, the the theater rock theater and
2: roll kid. on my own.
1: Maybe The Police?
2: Mm,
1: um, that's
2: good too. Yeah. That totally works. Um, did you have any 45s? Yes. I think um, I think they
1: were all Beatles, but maybe okay. Prince as well. Oh. Maybe Prince was in there. That was my Look. first concert. I'm sort of a, oh my god, what a great first concert it was. I went twice. <laughs> oh my
2: gosh! And here in Minneapolis would be mm-hmm. it's just a whole nother level. Yeah, it was favorite Saturday morning cartoon. Scooby Doo. Good answer. See, because they have real people in that. Oh, I guess I should – never mind. We'll, we'll take out my thing about anthropomorphic. Oh. Oh. I have a thing about sometimes about animals that talk, but I really shouldn't say that to you because that's, like, all that you have. That's so. like a frog. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, sorry about that. So we'll just take all that okay. out. Okay. Um, your favorite TV theme song? Ooh. I guess – I guess the Jeffersons.
0: Oh, that's fine. Okay. I love that. <laughs> moving on, up,
1: moving yeah. on
0: up, yeah. to the east side.
1: You want me to sing, don't you? Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 It happens a lot. It happens um, a lot. But
1: I also, um, I also really love Happy Days too. So. Oh, that's
2: a great one. It was like yeah. you'd hear it come on, and you would run in the room, <laughs> right? Appointment, yeah. tell, I mean, everybody, yeah. that's one of the great things, and we talk about this on the podcast. We were all doing that, the exact same thing at the exact same time, whether you lived in San Diego or Minneapolis or yeah. New York. It's just, it was this bonding mm-hmm. that we just don't have quite the same anymore. And when you we, can watch we, whatever we you it. want,
0: whenever you want to. yeah, right. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Just
1: totally miss that. There's a quote from the great Gonzo. He says, there's not a word yet for old friends who just met.
3: Yeah. So we did a great two-part work the three of us are huge Carpenters fans. And we did a great two part episode on the Carpenters. And one of the things we uncovered is that Karen, Car- their studio where they recorded is now part of Jim Henson studios. Is that it true? Is. <gasps> it is true. You, they say sometimes you can feel the ghost of Karen Carpenter there. Is that true? That's you what they can say. can hear it. What? <gasps> me. Yes,
1: it is true. They say that um, they, they light a candle every day in the studio because they say if they don't, what happens is the equipment in the studio she recorded in goes wonky. Oh my God. And that they've actually heard on a very low level the sound of a woman's voice singing yeah. and they think it could be
3: her. I believe it. I believe I'm just that dying stuff. Right now. I completely I'm just dying. believe it. I love it oh my so much. God. Every day
1: uh, they light it, and I, I love that. Um, I do, too. I, and I agree with them. They should do that.
3: Sally, this was a blast. I mean, for sure, we have we feel like we have now met a lifelong friend. So thank you so so much for yes. taking the time well, to talk to you. Thank you. This
1: was a hot. This is like twenty twenty three highlights. So thank you. Oh my much.
0: Thank you so much to all of you for listening today. So many thank yous to our wonderful guest Hallie Stanford. I predict you might hear her again on this show someday. If you haven't read Harriet the Spy in 40 or 50 years, do yourself a favor and add it to the pile on your nightstand and think about it with all this new perspective. It was a turning point in literature that came at a time when we Gen Xers were grabbing books off the shelves to help us understand the world better. Just another benefit of growing up Gen X.
2: You can watch Harry the Spy on Apple TV+, and we'll make sure and include a link to that in our weekly reader. If you're not yet signed up for our email newsletter, it's easy and it's free, and you can do that on our link tree on Instagram or on our website, (laughs) poppreservationist.com.
3: (laughs) And if you like what you hear, and we sure hope you do, please subscribe to the podcast where you listen and click the stars and leave a review. It only takes a minute and it is tremendously helpful to us. Today's episode was brought to you by our supporters on Patreon. Whether you are a superstar, solid gold, or a Bicentennial member, our Patreon supporters are the only income stream we have at the PCPS. They pay our expenses so we can afford to do this full time. Without them, this show would literally cease to exist. This week, we're giving a special shout-out to patrons Penny, Jill, Lance, Raquel, Jennifer, Leanne, Anisha, and Dee.
0: In the meantime, let's raise our glasses for a toast courtesy of the cast of Three's Company, to Good Times, to Happy Days, to Little House on the Prairie.
3: (laughs) Cheers! Cheers! Cheers!